it's time to meet up and catch up at the Weekend Water Cooler. Now, here's your host, Gene Bolduck. Welcome, welcome to the special edition of the Weekend Water Cooler, year-end edition. This year, we were fortunate to have the opportunity to interview two very important women to women's rights in North Carolina and around the world, actually, Dr. Anu Kumar, who is president and CEO of IPASS, and a very important women's advocacy organization protecting women's reproductive rights all over the world, brought to us by her good friend, Penny Rich, and Jenny Black, who is president of Planned Parenthood in North Carolina and in the Southeast region. Both of these women are advocating for women's rights every day, all the time, thank goodness. And they were nice enough to stop by the water cooler and have a chat with us. So as we look back on the year, a year that's been very important for women's rights and very important in seeing how women have asserted themselves politically, I'm happy to say, in the 2022 elections, I hope you'll enjoy revisiting these conversations And our look back at 2022, we're going to lead off with our visit with Dr. Kumar, and off we go. Yes, well, thank you, Jean, and and welcome to Anu. Um, So Anu and I have been friends for quite some time. Our um, sons met on the um, school bus when they were going to school. Um, uh, Kabir uh, was in kindergarten, Mika was in first grade. Uh, and they became instant friends. Um, and uh, it's, you know, eventually the parents have to meet. And I actually met Anu um, through another radio station. I won't mention that radio station's kerfuffle. Um, and it, what happened was uh, WCHL actually um, helped IPASS get their message through at that point. And, and um, since then, we've had many, many conversations um, about reproductive rights, about abortion, about women's rights, um, just about just about anything. Every time we're together, uh, we always carve out a little bit of time to talk about this. So I, I'm really honored that she's joining us today. And um, I know we're going to just dive right into it because I know that she's got so much to tell us. Um, um, hopefully um, there's a little bit of sunshine, um, but I know right now none of us are feeling very good about it. So uh, let's dive in, Jean. <laughs> Let's let's do it. Um, uh, uh, you know, I just my dog has just run through here just to just to make things interesting. Um, I I hardly I hardly know where to begin. You you've been with iPads for about twenty years, is that right? That's correct. Yes. Oh my goodness! And so, tell me how it is that you came to the organization and and tell, give me a give me your elevator speech about the work that you do. That's incredibly incredibly important. Well, thank you. Um, thank you for having me first, uh, Jean, and also Penny. Great to talk to you about these things, Penny, in this format, um, aside from our usual friendship um, chats and walks. Um, so IPAS is a, a global organization. It focuses and has, ha- has focused for all of its history on access to safe abortion and contraception. We are almost 50 years old. Um, and we work in places where um, abortion is, uh, can be very unsafe. So just to put that in context, you know, there are about 
50 million abortions that take place every year around the world, and roughly half of those are unsafe abortions. Um, and so women in some parts of the world continue to die and experience um, severe injuries from seeking out uh, abortions. And um, it just doesn't have to be that way. There are ways of preventing those deaths. Um, and if you think about how women in, the, in Europe um, and in the United States, and you know, until recently, did not die from uh, unsafe abortion, um, you can see that these deaths are not randomly distributed. They're occurring in particular places, and those places tend to be uh, poorer countries around the world. So Sub-Saharan Africa has a very high proportion of deaths and injuries, as does South Asia, India in particular, which is where I'm from. And so uh, IPAS, you know, believes uh, in comprehensive reproductive health care and services, and unlike some of the organizations in our field, we don't forget about abortion in that uh, picture of comprehensive care. So that's how, um, that's what IPAS does. I, yeah, I've been with the organization for 20 years now. I came back to Chapel Hill um, to work for IPAS. I have uh, my graduate degrees from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and have worked in this, in this larger sector for my entire career. So like 30, maybe even longer years. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, that's impossible. <laughs> Looking at you, I can, I'll have to see some ID about that. <laughs> Only Penny and I are that old. <laughs> True. Well, well I get, I, you know, Gina, I was, I was wondering when we're, when we talk about um, uh, global reproductive health, um, I knew maybe you could talk a little bit and I, maybe Gene, you were going to go in this direction. How does that relate to, um, uh, you know, comprehensive reproductive health here in America right now. Right, right, well, exactly right. I mean, people are people, right? People, people need care, um, whether they live in Nigeria or whether they live in North Carolina, and that care includes reproductive health care. So, you know, people, human beings become sexual, uh, eventually, and, um, and at that point, they need uh, sexuality and, and uh, reproductive health care, which includes a broad range of things. Um, so the difference is that uh, there are places in the world where uh, it's easier for people to get information, to get counseling, to get the care that they need and the services they need, and in other places, it's harder. So, I mean, in, in many ways, the U.S. is actually harder. Um, particularly when you compare it to Western Europe. So, you know, in the Netherlands or in, you know, some of the countries of Western Europe, sexuality education, and I mean comprehensive sexuality education, right. is part of the school curriculum. It is normal. It is, you know, information that young people get on a, on a normal basis. Um, and then that is followed up by uh, free services. So services like contraception, uh, STI, you know, treatment and screening, right. all, you know, are necessary for, um, for people to lead healthy lives. Um, in, in, in other parts of the world, you know, in some of the countries where IPASS works, that's even hard, that's very difficult for people to access because the resources are so constrained. Uh, human resources, certainly, but also financial resources. Right. There are countries that are really struggling with making very difficult decisions about how to allocate their, you know, limited funds. Um, so, you know, how does it relate to the United States? I, 
I, I would say it relates to the United States because we are all human beings uh, right. and beings we not just but we deserve you know high quality reproductive health care just as we deserve high quality health care period just broadly right right and and you know I, I you know we all I'm sure remember that and and I think it has even more context now for me at least is that when Hillary Clinton made this statement so many years ago this is probably almost 30 years ago now when she said you know women's rights are human rights and and it seems on its face like well yeah okay but you know what that's that's just not that's not really um a given that's that's universal at all she said this in china if i remember correctly and i was there i okay of course you were <laughs> um, I mean, it's a, it's just, it's in retrospect. Is I'm sure you'd agree, even even more so than how stunning a statement that was. Um, that took a lot of guts in that situation. It it, it did, uh, it did, and I, I I was I was at that conference, the for, the fourth world conference on women in in Beijing, uh, China, and that conference followed on the heels of one that occurred the year before in Vienna on human rights. And at that conference um, was the was sort of the consolidation of women's rights and human rights, the merging of those, and the the consideration that women uh, women's rights and human rights are 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 the same, are one and the same. At the same time, all right. So I was, you know, I was in my um, late twenties at that point at that conference, and I attended three world conferences. I attend, I attended, um, well, two, I went to Cairo. And then I attended the, China, the one in China. And I remember as a young person thinking, really? Like, we have to make a statement? That this is we a statement we have to make? Yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is my point, yes. It, you know, it's like, seriously, that's the big takeaway? Right. And, but and the, but now, you, now we realize, right? Well, the fact that it was controversial just seemed bizarre to me. Yeah, and, exactly. Right. <laughs> that happened um, in 1994 it was it was also you know it was the idea that women in that conference the idea that women were central to development and to economic efforts and that abortion was part of that comprehensive reproductive health care and again I remember thinking wow why are we still talking about this you know I mean I literally said to my boss who was right. a woman my age the age I am now Right. We're saying to her, I don't, I don't understand why they, why we're still talking about I this. I thought you all already settled this like 25 years ago. Oh, okay. We're saying that again now, aren't we? Because we thought exactly. it was settled, right? Exactly. And now that I'm thoroughly depressed, I'm going to tell you that we have to take our first break. <clears throat> we are talking with Dr. Anu Kumar um, uh, from IPASS and, of course, our beloved Penny Rich. Uh, you're listening to the Weekend Water Cooler on 97.9. Please don't go away. It's only going to get better from here, I promise. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back from our break, our very quick break, uh, speaking with uh, Penny Rich and Dr. Anu Kumar from uh, IPASS, the president and CEO of IPASS. Um, I, I do want to... Um, take a moment to to just discuss uh, the, the the simple and obvious 
racial disparity that exists in maternal health. You know, at UNC Family Practice, um, one of our uh, physicians on staff has been uh, very involved and has gotten a lot of funding, I'm happy to say, uh, Dr. Venus Standard for uh, the, the Black Doula program to uh, provide uh, assistance, uh, prenatal and labor and delivery assistance and advocacy for uh, women of color um, in, their, in their advanced stages of pregnancy. And the, the program's gotten great results. And, and, and I'm not surprised that when you give women access to, uh, to good health care, that you have good outcomes. <laughs> um, and I, I know that um, for, uh, for, for me and people who look like me, people who are people who are white, to be perfectly clear, um, the access to reproductive health care and, you know, having a good doctor and if I needed one, uh, getting, a, getting an abortion that might be written up as something else. Um, I've spent most of my, if not all of my uh, fertile years knowing that I wouldn't have to worry about that. First of all, Roe versus Wade was decided uh, in my freshman year in high school. And um, so I've spent all my life up until this year saying, well, you know, abortion is controversial perhaps, but it's legal. Um, I also have, have long held the position that I could, I could listen to the arguments of people who were opposed to abortion a little more easily if in the same breath they said, so, you know, what we really need is not abortion. We need great access to contraception for everyone. Uh, what we need to do is prevent unwanted pregnancies. And I've never, I never seem to hear that argument, which leads me to my, and forgive me for going on, but I'm, I'm in a non-coughing period. So I'm going to just, uh, uh, you know, go with it for a second. Um, uh, it, it leads me to um, my, my larger uh, observation, which is I, I think that this is about controlling people, not, not just women. I think it's about uh, the need for minorities to be a permanent underclass. There's, a, you know, there's, there's one party in our system that seems to politically depend on um, people not being able to climb into the middle class and beyond and not having an equal playing field. And they are pulling any and all of the levers um, of disruption and suppression and control to make sure that, uh, that, they are, that their power is not threatened. Uh, before, we, before we discuss these points, I, I just I wanna make sure we get in, into uh, uh, our, our conversation here that when this program airs, that early voting will already have begun, uh, that you can uh, request an absentee ballot in Orange County and North Carolina up until November 1st, and that uh, one-stop early voting will end on November 5th. Uh, election day, of course, is Tuesday, November 8th. I want everybody to vote, vote, vote. You will, you will probably never in your lifetime have a more important time to go out and cast your ballot than this year. If you enjoy voting at all, ever, you really need to make your voice heard this year because 
we don't want voting to go out of style. Uh, we, I think it's a good way to set public policy and uh, and make our way forward as a society is voting and having votes counted by objective people who will then certify the vote no matter which way it came out and have these have these views reflected in how we elect people. So that's my speech about that. Um, I think that this phenomenon of um, women losing uh, their right to an abortion and you know as a constitutional guarantee and the rise of of this un unmitigated hatred um, based on categories of people based on race uh, based on um, you know anti-semitism uh, this is just this is a very scary time right now I don't think these things are unrelated. And now I'm going to stop talking and listen to Anu. Um, they're not unrelated. I think um, we have seen across the world and through history that the rise of fascism is linked to the oppression of women. Um, it's very clear that uh, oppression begins with policing of the womb and policing of the uterus. Um, and we see that very clearly in the United States over the last several decades. This is not something that just kind of came out of whole cloth. It's been building actually for decades. Um, there is a very real and disparate in impact on the overturning of Roe on, on women of color. Um, they already experience three to four times higher levels of maternal mortality than white women. Uh, it is very likely that the uh, inability to access abortion services will result in more and more pregnancies being taken to term. And pregnancy is dangerous. Pregnancy is a dangerous time for women, and it is a dangerous time um, to, to, you know, that childbirth is a dangerous time as well. So we are likely going to see additional uh, morbidity and possibly mortality. In fact, there have been some estimates about the increases in mortality that we may face in the United States. And most of that is going to occur among black and brown um, women. So yeah, I think that there is very much a, uh, a connection between these two, uh, between, between that, the, the impact, and between those that are actually um, advocating for bans on abortion, which by the way, is very, the majority of Americans do not support bans. Nine out of 10 Americans do not support bans. So we have in here is a, is a very powerful vocal minority. Right. Who don't just believe in, um, uh, you know, oppressing certain people within you know, different ident people with different identities like LGBTQI people or women or people of color, they do they do oppress all of those groups, but they also have an affirmative vision for what they are seeking, and what they're seeking is a Christian nationalist. Exactly, that's right. Yeah, the we get our heads around what they want, the better we can figure out how to how to undo this. Because, you know, frankly, I am very concerned, sort of on an existential level, of the future of democracy in the United States. It is not an accident that the people who showed up on January 6th 
many of the men that were there had also been um, protesters at clinics, at abortion clinics. Right. Many histories of domestic violence. Um, this is a movement of Christian nationalists that is misogynist in its belief system and its values. And it is now openly anti-democratic. They are saying it out loud. They have said it out loud. And so I, you know, I, I don't, and, and we have seen this playbook in other parts of the world. So Americans don't necessarily think about this, but Hungary is one such country. Poland is another country, which both systematically took away democratic values and principles, for example, a free judiciary, a free press, and as a result have, um, have not only reduced the democratic in, uh, space and the, the space for freedom, but have also simultaneously, side by side, reduced the ability of women to exercise autonomy over their bodies. That is not an accident. Right. Right. Yeah, so, okay, but I have a question on you, and I, I think this is a really good point. Um, who's talking about this, though? Because, you know, it, when you look at media, and I, I know you've written a number of articles about this, and, you know, your your target audience is me. Um, but but in general, who's talking about what, what the reality of these decisions are? So I've been talking about it for 20 plus years now, actually. So you're, but you're right. What, what, what's interesting to me is that I've been, you know, so I've been writing and talking about this for a long time because um, democracy and women's rights are hand in hand. I mean, look what's happening in Iran right now. Those, that in Iran is being led by women. Right. And we know that freedom movements around the world, in fact, there's been research to corroborate that freedom around the world are most successful when women are involved and in leadership roles, not just involved, but are actively in leadership roles. So that's actually the success of dem democratic movements. So you're right, we've been talking about it for a while. I've been talking about it for a while. So personally, I'm kind of excited by the number of people now like you and others who are asking me about it. And if you kind of Google white supremacy and abortion, all this stuff comes up. So it is now getting mainstream media attention. MSNBC is talking about it. And, right. you know, other, other media outlets are talking. The Nation did a long piece on, um, uh, you know, anti-abortion movement and, and, uh, and uh, anti-democratic movements. Um, so I think it's getting a lot more attention now. But that doesn't mean that people are taking it as seriously as they should. I think we're really behind, frankly, yeah. in understanding. Right severity of the problem in the United States. And I know many people in the U.S. were frankly kind of surprised. It seems we're surprised by the overturning of Roe v. Wade. But those of us who've been paying attention, we were not surprised. No, no. I mean, uh, you know, when when um, when these uh, last couple of uh, uh, nincompoop judges got got appointed to the court, uh, then it seemed to me that um, that the, the clock started ticking down on Roe, and it was and the decision. I, I hate to invoke my father's favorite uh, admonition about this and and make it sound so lighthearted, but it was going to come down to because I said so. It was just going to be we can count to five, 
we're going to go dig up some old statute that we're going to say this is based on, but it doesn't matter. We've waited all this time. We've waited 50 years to flip this thing. Mm -hmm. And and we fooled you all by saying in our confirmations that that we thought it was settled law. And um, and we're just doing it now because because we're in charge and we said so, yeah. um, which which does make you feel tempted to think that as as soon as we can count to five or whatever the new number needs to be, which is another debate altogether. Um, why yeah, don't we just why don't we just flip it back on the same basis? Well, it's not so simple to flip it back on the same basis, right. but yeah. That's right. The writing was on the wall when Trump was elected. I mean, that it was going to happen as soon as he was elected, that this, that this was eventually going to occur. Um, and, you know, you can go back to the uh, to 2016 election and think about the people who didn't want to vote for Hillary Clinton, um, you know, and but that would have meant if, if she had been elected. You know, I do want to mention one other point about the um, extremists that are in charge um, and, and, and are growing in power in the United States. And that is that they that they operate from a base of fear. They're right. really afraid. And one of the things that they're really afraid of is uh, what they talk about it sort of as white genocide. They are really, really concerned about the extinction of the white race, um, that, and which is why they're anti-immigrant. They're, you know, anti, uh, you know, they're, they're anti all kinds of things, but they're, you know, they, they don't want people to, they, they're concerned about the reduction of non, uh, of uh, the increase of non-white populations in the United States. And so that fear is something that's, that they're using. Um, and you've heard about the great replacement conspiracy. Right, you know? right. So that's all part of this ideology. And it's, you know, it's all blended in there. You know, at the end of the day, I actually don't think, even though my work and the work of IPAS is absolutely focused on abortion, but these bigger forces that we're talking about, they don't really care about abortion. No. That's right. They don't. That's right. They don't. And and by the way, I mean, uh, look at all of the advances, and, and then we have to take a break, I promise, but uh, look at look at all the advances in contraception and the ability, for example, to take a morning after pill, if, if, if you can, you know, flood the zone with, with enough of, of the available um, interventions that, yeah. that are, you know, that are in five weeks and six weeks of gestation, um, you, you've, you've eliminated the political issue for them almost entirely which is part of what they're concerned about. And, and that's one of the reasons that we have candidates talking about how women should stay in marriages that are violent and, and all of these other extraneous things. I, for, my, for my money, I'm kind of grateful that Marjorie Taylor Greene, for example, I hate to invoke that name. This has been such a nice show. I hate to curse like that. Um, but but I'm, I'm glad that she is stupid enough to talk about this Christian nationalism right out in the open, which is going to give it all the oxygen that it needs um, to to die in the in the in the sunlight. You know, um, you know. I hope that when it gets dragged out into the middle of the room and exposed, that that will help to kill it. 
We'll see. I was just reading an article about her, and she's gone from extremist fringe elements of the GOP to uh, being a very much a leader in the Republican oh, Party. Oh, true. without a doubt. You that's know, because we, we want, a, a well, well, you know, Bill Clinton's favorite uh, uh, expression is that uh, Americans, and I think Republicans, are right in the front of the line about this. They want a leader who's strong. They will take a leader who is strong and wrong over one who is weak and right. And, and she shows the kind of, you know, always certain, scarcely right, um, uh, you know, absolute, you know, certainty that yeah. is is what they love. And um, yeah. boy, I think I think she get she's going to give McCarthy a run for his money for who's the next leader of the party in the House. They'll both be reelected. Well, that's just frightening. But you know what? I think we need to take a little break here. Left the show because she's going to go jump out the window. I think we need to take a break because I need to breathe. Now that we're talking about that. um, Yeah. um, Yeah. We're going to take a quick break and uh, we're talking to Penny Rich and Anu Kamar. um, And, you know, I promise it is going to get better. I promise. Uh, You're listening to The Weekend Water Cooler on 97.9 The Hill. We'll be right back. back with two of the I would say the coolest women probably in North Carolina I, I don't want to brag but um, uh, one of course is our intrepid Penny Rich our everything else correspondent you know I every week I name Penny as senior something or other correspondent but of course everybody knows right now she's the bureau chief of <laughs> fascinating information that's all right and her Twitter friend <laughs> Jenny Black um, who is uh, president of the world. Is that right, Jenny? Are you president of the world or is it only Planned Parenthood? Just Planned Parenthood South Atlantic and Planned Parenthood Votes South Atlantic. I love it. I love it. And by the way, I love that that combination of Planned Parenthood and voting. Um, Man, that's been right on target for some years, but never more than this year. Uh, Never more than this year. So I'm just... I want to give you the floor for a minute here and just tell us how it's been for you since the Dobbs decision, which I'm quite sure you knew was coming, um, especially since, you know, it was leaked. Um, but t- but tell us, how, how has it been and at your office for your organization? And what, what was the reaction the day that came down? Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me to have this critically important conversation about reproductive freedom and the future of abortion access in the South. And I'm just uh, delighted to to be with y'all. So thank you very much. Planned Parenthood South Atlantic is a four-state affiliate. We serve North Carolina, South Carolina, West Virginia, and the western half of Virginia. We have 14 health and education centers across that four state area. We are headquartered in downtown Raleigh. I have actually been with Planned Parenthood uh, since 1999 and um, actually grew up in, born and raised in Raleigh. Parents were born and raised, go back many generations in North Carolina. Moved away in the 90s, started my career at Planned Parenthood in New Mexico in 1999 and the I just can't describe the joy and privilege of being home where I have such deep roots doing work that's so deeply meaningful to me. So 
it's just a, a little bit about me and what I bring to this fight and the work. It is uh, the privilege of my life to yeah. get to do the work that we do here where we're doing it. Um, here in North Carolina, since the Dobbs decision, we have seen a massive influx of patients. Um, we have, to your, your, your very astute point, we have been preparing for this moment for a couple of years, actually. Um, and so, you know, we um, have been building new centers. We have been expanding our access, hiring more docs, um, really building the infrastructure necessary to accommodate the need. And make no mistake, abortion is a need. It is a fundamental healthcare uh, need. And we're finding that North Carolina is really emerging as a critical access point for people across the South, as we're seeing our neighboring states implement total or near total bans on abortion access, we are experiencing patients who are having to um, cross sometimes multiple state lines in order right. to get this fundamental health care. The good news is when they get here, they find our staff's smiling faces and really big hearts holding those doors open for them. And we're, you know, we're rising up to meet the need, but we're talking about an ecosystem that was pretty duly constrained before Dobbs. And yeah. so right. um, we are, we have, I'm really proud and inspired by the way that our staff have risen up to meet this need. We're finding our patients are, um, you know, their emotional acuity is much higher. They are navigating nearly insurmountable barriers. Yeah. We have built a whole navigation system to help them figure out not only the barriers, but provide them with the cash to overcome those barriers. Right. Um, we're talking travel assistance, hotel assistance, daycare, lost wages, all of the things that compound to really overwhelm a patient who is quite frankly, just pregnant when she doesn't want to be. And exactly. that in and of itself is enough to, exactly. to for, have for, to- For any number of reasons, any number of reasons, none of which matter. If you're pregnant, you don't want to be. Right. Then there right. you are. There right. you are. We yeah. don't parse why people need abortions. Right. We trust that our patients are the experts of their own lives and are fully capable and, um, how do I say, um, qualified to <laughs> make the best decisions for right. themselves and their families and their lives and their futures. And that's really at the heart of what we're fighting for. You right. know, next week is um, possibly the most consequential election of my lifetime. Right. And um, what is really on the line is reproductive freedom, affordable health care, fair elections, LGBTQ equality. All of that is on the line. Um, democracy itself is on the line. Right. And I think of abortion access as a little bit of a canary in the coal mine um, right. on democracy and that we know that they aren't necessarily going to stop there. 
and right and exactly. so um exactly. they're they're coming for all um panoply of freedoms and right. we're you know we find that you know the future of abortion access not just for north carolinians but for the whole South really hinges on the results of this election here in North Carolina. We really, if, if we want to keep abortion legal in North Carolina, voters have to cast their ballots for reproductive rights champions up That's and right. down the ballot. Um, Planned Parenthood votes South Atlantic is a, um, a political organization that works to endorse and support candidates who are ready to fight for reproductive freedom. And wow. so you can find all of those endorsements on our website. Um, you can sign up to knock doors. You can get involved. Um, you can do all kinds of things. Well, to, tell everybody that domain. Say, say it again, say it again, to, say it again. To bring this, uh, to bring this, the, the vision to reality, um, it's PlannedParenthoodAction.org backslash Planned Parenthood Votes South Atlantic, and you can find all of our endorsed candidates there across all of our states. Oh, that's, so, that's, that's absolutely that's great. fantastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Can you talk a little bit, I mean, Jean, do we have a little time? Are we, we're going no, about two minutes, two minutes, yeah, totally. Yeah, Jenny, break. could you just talk a little bit about the staff at the facilities? Are they feeling threatened? Are they proud to come to work every day, um, even though they might feel threatened? How do, how do they feel as being staff members right now? Man, I got to tell you, it has been incredibly inspiring how these staff are coming to this moment, right? They're really rising up in such inspiring ways. The turnover, our turnover is the lowest it's ever been. Awesome. They are experiencing oh, more protesters yeah. than ever. The protesters are just as emboldened and energized um, as they've ever been. They're as disgusting and gross as ever. Um, but the staff are, you know, they're, they're rising up to it. Penny, it's amazing. It's it's truly the privilege of my life to work with these people um, that are working at Planned Parenthood. And I think, you know, if you're drawn to this work in this moment, you probably have a pretty big heart to begin That's with. Right. That's right. But to, uh, to have this fundamental freedom challenged in the way that it is can be demoralizing. And right. it feels like we're swimming in a bit of a toxic soup when it comes to abortion. We're very uh, stigmatized in uh, mainstream media. And so that can be challenging for us to navigate, but patients are always our mission, but we center our staff um, first. Taking care of them is the really fundamental strategy to our ability to take care of patients. Well, you know, over over here in Chapel Hill, um, if 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 my if my uh, memory of this is correct, I think that every Saturday there are protesters outside mm -hmm. of Planned Parenthood mm -hmm. yeah. on the boulevard there, and I have always always looked at that with great concern that you know to to be protesting something so persistently for I think that's been true for as long as I can remember, and that's this is a this is decades yeah. that this has yeah. been going on. And um, uh, that has said something to me about somehow about what the real agenda is that of, of people who have globbed onto this as their political cause uh, of of obstructing uh, women from taking care of their own health. Um, I, I, 
you know, had to go past this and get through this in helping a friend of my son's secure an abortion when she needed one. And uh, it was a very unpleasant uh, process, of course. Um, I'm so grateful that the staff was there. They were wonderful, of course, and I'm not telling you anything, but it really is something to consider the, how the opposition has been so dug in about this for so long um, and, and how they arrive at their dedication to their side of the issue is hard for me to understand, but yeah. that's largely because I don't agree with them. But what I do agree with is all of our sponsors. And those are some great sponsors we've had all year long here on 97.9 The Hill. And we have some pretty great listeners. Let us hear from you at Gene Bolduck on Twitter and look me up on Facebook. We love hearing from you. We hope everybody has a great holiday and a safe and happy new year. Follow Gene on Twitter at Gene Bolduck and tweet your comments and questions with the hashtag WCHL.